We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. Welcome in to the Rotowire NFL podcast. I'm your host, John McCackney, joined by Mario Puig. This podcast brought to you by our friends over at Dynasty Owner. I am back in the saddle after a, a small uh, two-week hiatus in which I, I went back uh, to Maryland, but now I'm, I'm back back in the lab here at, at Rotowire HQ, uh, ready, to, uh, ready to get back into to some more NFL talk. Mario, how are you doing? Oh, I'm pretty good. I'm still unpacking from moving, but it's uh, a little settled down because I at least have internet now that isn't uh, through my girlfriend's iPhone hotspot, <laughs> which is a confusing and frightening subject to me. I don't understand this witchcraft you all have in your phones. Like I have a, I literally have a twenty dollar Walmart burner phone that I bought three years ago. Oh, that's so and, awesome! And <laughs> um, it can't do hotspots. Apparently these other phones can, but I'm, I'm glad my phone is not uh, haunted like you people and your sorcerer phones. With, yeah, with my phone recognizes my face and unlocks. It's I don't like it. Not good, buddy. I'm not. No, I'm I'm smashing my phone if it recognizes me. No questions asked. I'm, I'm um, but yeah, I'm, I'm not using internet through uh, the the phone sorcery nor uh, the gym in the apartment complex. So the, considering those things, it's it's a. Uh, it's a better day today than yesterday. All right. Things are looking up. And then uh, I guess in terms of interesting things that have happened to me in the last 24 hours, uh, my car battery died because I'm an oh, idiot. Crap. And, uh, you know, for the for the doubters out there listening, I was who think that I probably can't even open my hood of my car. 
I was able to jumpstart my car. So thank you very much. Nice. I know, right? I haven't had a car since I was uh, 17. Uh, I, I, it was my mom's car that I was driving even then, but I managed to just uh, run the battery out by leaving the lights on two different times. <laughs> I hadn't done it in like re- like since I was a teenager too, but um, yeah, I was like unpacking my car from the, from the Maryland trip and and like left on one of those like interior lights, um, and yeah, just. Two days later, it's like, oh wow, my car is super dead. So, um, yeah, managed to, managed to pull that off. So, uh, nice. pat's on the back for me, mechanic John, checking in. Yeah, I'm great at driving, but I'm also great at leaving the lights on. And so, I, I need mechanic John on speed dial if I ever get a car again, which I won't. But if I do, it's it's your problem. Okay, <laughs> I'm good with that. I'm I'm always good for for um to help out on on car stuff, even though I'm very very mediocre at them but i can also change a tire those are those are my two cars nice yeah yeah i cannot i wouldn't even know step one of that i know to jump start because i did it too kind of i had to do it one time but i forgot the lessons and fixing a car tire i'll just never learn i've, I've accepted that. that yeah it takes some significant elbow grease grit and i don't have it <laughs> no sir all right, let's uh let's get into uh, today's topics here. So we're gonna get into uh, some Buccaneers discussion. There, there's been a lot going around uh, based off the Bruce Arians quote about them, uh, the Buccaneers shifting to a a 12 personnel, which is one running back and two tight ends. And then we're also going to get into some sleepers and we're going to debunk some of the trendier sleepers that, that are out there and, and, you know, offer up some, some quality alternatives to them. But let's, you know, let's get started um, in Tampa Bay. Um, so with that announcement, how does that shift your view? I think the general consensus throughout most of this offseason, since Tom Brady got to Tampa Bay, um, and I'm I'm victim of this, or you know, call me a lemming, but I've been thinking that uh, the Tom Brady edition has is not a great sign for Mike Evans, just in terms of the the contrast between where Tom Brady tends to throw the ball versus where Mike Evans has tended to run his routes. Uh, you know, one of the more deep. Uh, deep down the field specialist in the NFL with, you know, his meshing with a, you know, more short uh, intermediate throw type of slant guy like like, uh, Tom Brady. I just, I've been concerned about that working, um, but I think I'm I'm not alone in that. I think that that's a kind of widely held uh, position nowadays. Um, But with the um, addition or with this additional wrinkle of the Buccaneers kind of working out of a two tight end set, what does that mean for Chris Godwin? What does that mean for Mike Evans? Because Chris Godwin, uh, you know, he's a, he's a guy that runs a very very high percentage of his routes out of the slot, or at least has in the past. Yeah, and when Brady arrived to the Buccaneers, I think it's fair to say anyway that most people tended to say this is a break even thing for Chris Godwin, or, or at worst like a slight downgrade because he played in the slot last year and because Julian Edelman of course, worked so well with Brady in the slot. And generally speaking, the slot receiver plays closer to the quarterback than the outside receivers do. Chris Godwin was still a guy who ran further downfield than most slot receivers, though. I think that's safe to say he had a 10.5 yard average depth of target, which is basically average for all receivers. And I'm pretty sure most uh, most slot receivers are more around like nine 
eight and a half, even less in some cases. So uh, I think Godwin can play slot or outside. I, I don't remember for sure how they handled him at Penn State, but I I know athletically he has the profile of an outside guy. I mean, he's like 6'1", 210 with the 4'4", the 4'4", whatever it was that he ran coming out of Penn State where he was a very good player. So I think he could be fine playing more outside, which is, if that's true, it's good because they're going to have to play him outside a lot more often. If you have a two tight end base offense, yeah, you can have some uh, some looks where the two receivers are lined up on the same side and the two tight ends are lined up on the same side, thus making the inner receiver the slot receiver on that play. Mm-hmm. But it's also going to have to be a lot of times where he's you know the outside receiver opposite Mike Evans and perhaps in a, in a situation where last year he would have been in the slot – uh, with, I don't know, Scott Miller outside, whoever it was, uh, Brett Rashad Perriman, I guess. So it's interesting that they're going to a two tight end look. And um, I think that's a little different than what a lot of people assumed, especially on the Godwin Evans question, because it's like Godwin. It, again, it was like a break even thing that a lot of people took it as. And largely that necessarily meant that it was a bad thing for Evans because he's not the Julian Edelman comparison in that case. He's playing, I guess, uh, whatever, Philip Dorsett, something Mm -hmm. like that. So I understand the concern with that. I had a little more optimism for Mike Evans than maybe some people just because I think he can play underneath. I think it was just that Jameis Winston is such a chucker that they were like, you know, Evans is this hulking target who's really athletic and he's got this huge catch radius that he presents downfield and Winston likes to throw these reckless passes. So, you know, why not? It seems like a good match downfield, especially when they knew Godwin could do all the things underneath that he can. But if neither of them can go downfield that much anymore, I think Evans can be fine. It's it's more like his limitation, I think, in that case would be subject to to kind of like the the volume Brady puts forth rather than uh, where Godwin and Evans are respectively playing because I think they're going to have to play largely the same parts of the field now so we'll see it's it's kind of interesting also because if they are going with a two tight end base offense that means Bruce Arians isn't really running the offense yeah I was I was gonna say how much water do you think this quote even holds like it you know this because this is so far counter to everything that Arians has done in the past but I I, you know I could also admit that Brady is uh you know kind of the the Brady signing is you know a a counter to everything that that Arians has kind of looked for in a quarterback before so maybe he is you know the the leopard can change his spots in this case but maybe he can the leopard changing in this case is probably just surrendering this thing that, that he always had control over in the past. And it'll be interesting because it's one thing to say you're just going to keep your hands off, but it's another thing to get in the middle of what, you know, when the bullets actually start flying, if, if you still can keep your hands off because you're going to want to put your hands on it. Like that, that's what he's done his whole career mm-hmm. and he's what, like 70 or something. So this is something that is, it, it's it's the the old dog learning a new trick thing too it's like it's uh it's 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 a it takes a leap of faith to assume arians really has the self-control to not meddle in this but the, the him not meddling in it might have been a specific non-negotiable demand of brady's and brady as much as it was josh mcdaniels who was technically the offensive coordinator there was probably a great deal of brady input in designing that offense too so i think you're you're simply going to see the the buccaneers formations look a lot like the patriots ones of recent years and if that's true then it'll 
it'll at once be kind of um, it'll be concerning, I guess, still for the people who were always concerned for Mike Evans because there hasn't really been a productive outside receiver in those Patriots offenses lately. But I also I still think some of that has to do with just like the personnel. Oh, yeah, he's Josh eons Gordon, better than anything that Brady's had on the outside for years. Yeah. And Josh Gordon, even with all of the off field turbulence that was ongoing, even when he was with the Patriots, it's like the few times that he had the chance to play, he kind of was a reliable impact and, and made an impact in a way that none of the other Patriots outside receivers at the time did. So I'm, I think it's one of those things where, you should probably knock both Godwin and Evans a little bit in the rankings, but I wouldn't want them too far apart from each other. And just as similarly though, if I owned either of them, especially in a dynasty format, like I would not be panic excelling over this a, because Brady for all we know, Brady could play eight games and then because he's 43 years old, he might just like pull his back out or something and never play again. So I wouldn't I wouldn't go assuming like Tom Brady is the future of either of these players in a, in a longer uh, longer window. But in redraft, yeah, I don't really see myself targeting these guys like I'll I'll take them if if, uh, you know, I, I just need a receiver and I think there's going to be a, a, a further run on receivers before my next pick. And it's just in cases like that, you kind of just have to take the player in question, even if you don't feel that great about them, because the idea that you'll have a better opportunity later just isn't true in those cases. So things like that, if I end up there, I'm not going to panic about it. I'm not going to worry too much about having Godwin or Evans, but it's a little concerning that uh, for those two also, I think that if Arians is giving up control of the offense, then that means OJ Howard isn't going to get screwed over anymore. And that's what happened in the Arians scheme last year. It's just Arians doesn't want to think about how to use a tight end like Howard. Brady can find a way to use a tight end like Howard. I mean, it's I know it's, Howard's a downfield guy more than like a, a short curl. Like a, a, he doesn't make catches in the flats or something. But Brady made a lot of his best downfield throws in recent years to Gronkowski. And it's probably because it's it's like he's losing throwing velocity. He's lo- losing maybe some accuracy even because maybe he has to do more of a sort of a heave to get the ball that far in the first place. But those things don't matter as much if the target's huge and can reel it in from a wide, you know, a, a wide range of a catch radius. And Howard does present that. It's 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 a he kind of presents similar challenges to a defense as Gronkowski does. Like Gronkowski was not really the wide receiver screen or the tight end screen kind of guy. He wasn't really a guy running two yards two yard outs and, and curls like Cam Brait was last year. And that's all the Arians offense ever previously had room for is just these stupid. Uh, you know, check down options because the whole downfield theory of this offense is forcing it to the receivers downfield. And so the tight end is a lot of times blocking. So these seven step drops have time to develop for the receivers mm-hmm. to get downfield. And it's it's the tight ends use is not so much to have any uh, shares of that downfield passing. It's just to be the fourth fail safe option on a dump off pass, kind of like the way the Pittsburgh has been using Vance McDonald. And that's just not who O.J. Howard is. But if they want to use O.J. Howard like New England has always used Gronk, I think that could work pretty good. And O.J. Howard is still one of the very most talented players in the league. I know some people have lost faith on that. They think he's just, you know, hype that never came through. But Arians doesn't know and more importantly, did not want to learn how to use him. Brady, I think, can. And if he can, then it might come somewhat at the expense of Godwin and Evans, even if they're still good and, you know, playing well with Brady for their own part. But what about Gronk himself? Yeah, it's tough because it's not like Brady brought him over just to, you know, have some blocking help. So 
it, it's it's one of those things I don't expect. I'm, I'm not really chasing Howard. First of all, like there's other tight ends in his range that I prefer. Like I still would prefer someone like Blake Jarwin, for instance, and maybe even like Chris Herndon. I, I think Howard's really good. It's just I don't really I don't really feel like. Brady's going to throw for more than, I don't know, 4,000 yards or something like that. We got to keep in mind, too, this Tampa Bay defense might be really good this year, and they might not be in many catch up scripts. They might have a pretty, uh, they, they might have like a, just, just like a lot of low stress drives. There, there might not be much urgency on their part, whereas Tampa Bay last year was in full urgency mode all the time. <laughs> and it's, it's just the, the conditions are going to be a lot different. And so, it, it makes sense to be leery of Godwin and Evans's prices if if they were if the prices were at all based on the events of last year because last year's events are just kind of out of the question at this point. So I don't want to rule them out though because if if people get sour enough on them, then it's it becomes a question then of of uh, not so much like can they reach these heights of last year, but can they outplay these other players going in this new range and if Godwin and Evans are falling toward the fourth round or something like that the receivers in that range just aren't as good as them anymore like it's it's maybe the maybe some of the players going ahead of him have better situations but like they will be better than the other options as far as their own skill level goes and that's that's something to work with because these guys are too good to just disappear it just might be one of those things after last year whatever they did combining for 2,800 yards or something, it might be more like 2,200 and maybe on, you know, more catches than last year because it'll take more catches to get that volume with Brady only throwing about eight yards downfield on average. Right. Yeah. I mean, it it was so maxed out last year and it was amazing to, to watch. And especially if you had shares of, of the Buccaneers offense, every Sunday just felt like some sort of I, I don't know some sort of strange fever dream Jameis you know leading off with it with a pick six and then still finding a way to get you like the the requisite pa- fantasy points uh that you needed uh and, and you know obviously feeding Evans and Godwin and even Brashad Perriman was a thing there yeah. for a little while so that that was a lot of fun uh I will always respect the, the 2019 bucks um for what they were um support for this podcast comes from U.S. Bank if you're looking for a credit card that fits your lifestyle look no further U.S. Bank has credit cards that make every day rewarding, no matter what you're into. Feeling hungry? Check out the U.S. Bank Altitude Go Visa Signature Card. Earn four times points on takeout, food delivery, and dining. And get two times points at gas stations, grocery stores, and on streaming. That'll keep your wallet and your mouth full. Big spender? The U.S. Bank Visa Platinum Card has a low intro APR for large purchases or balance transfers. And you call the shots with the U.S. Bank Cash Plus Visa Signature Card. Choose two categories each quarter. Earn 5% back on your first $2,000 of eligible purchases from those categories. So don't just get a credit card, get the right card to make every day more rewarding. Cash back, merchandise, travel rewards, and low intro APRs are waiting. Learn more at usbank.com slash credit card. The creditor and issuer of these cards is U.S. Bank National Association, pursuant to a license from Visa USA, Inc., and the cards are available to United States residents only. Some restrictions may apply. Member FDIC. Before we get into uh, the the sleepers, and you talked about you know the potential of Evans and Godwin maybe slipping a little bit. Th- these guys, um, I think, probably are in a range that's too far for a field of where uh, Evans and, and Godwin would reasonably drop. Um, I like AJ Brown where he's going at, at pick forty three or so, dating in the NFFC, dating back to Monday. Um, but one guy I was talking, I was thinking about. Uh, talking about for sleepers uh, is Calvin Ridley because I feel like he has absolutely zero buzz 
And at the same time, and it, I have a hard time saying that I would take Ridley over Brown or even uh, Juju Smith-Schuster, all those guys going in, in a very similar cluster, Robert Woods, um, Adam Thielen also in there as well. But I looked at the under-the-hood numbers for, for Ridley last year, and they're pretty sick. I mean, we're talking about yeah. a guy who had 95.5 air yards per game, uh, really high air yards per snap uh, percentiles, uh, a decent target share a target share at 14 percent that i think you could conceivably even with the addition of hayden hurst you could see that bump to 16 17 maybe even 18 percent julio is still yeah. obviously the number one guy but i think that there's a volume bump uh that's that's uh there in the making for ridley and yeah. he also cut down on his drops in a big way he had nine as a rookie had only three last year on one more target and also bumped his yards per target by almost half a yard so i've kind of like just uh out of just sheer coincidence uh, started to convince myself on Calvin Ridley a little bit. So there's some, I've seen some sharp people are pretty high on him. I guess okay. it's probably not like a common thing at this point, but I wouldn't be surprised if the hype picks up on him. Actually, quite similarly to last year with Chris Godwin, where I remember it's easy to forget how these things work out, but earlier in the off season last year, I want to say he was going something like in the fifth or sixth round, something like that. And people like you and me, like we were, we were really high on him coming out of Penn State. So I was just buying every single chance that I could. And by the late summer, he had become one of those subjects where people are going, is Chris Godwin getting too expensive? Is the hype out of control? <laughs> yep. And at the time, at the time, I mean, I, I think you were with me still. I was just like full truther mode. I was like, no, Chris Godwin is awesome. I am not going to listen to any of these regression doinks trying to tell me about how like you can't expect him to do this or that. Or, and it's like, no, he's a really good player. He's going to get the targets. Adam Humphreys is gone. This is a settled matter. And I'm thinking something pretty similarly about Calvin Ridley this year because okay. I was pretty high on him coming out of Alabama or at least like I, I don't want to claim like I was a truther of his, but I was not among his skeptics. I thought his skeptics made some pretty weird, weak cases. And I, I say that as someone who takes, you know, age adjustment in, in the in the, you know, the prospect grades pretty seriously. Sure. I just thought he made I, I thought he was he pretty clearly uh, showed that that wasn't. Uh, uh, grounds for for dismissing him. I thought he showed early enough because it was his freshman year at Alabama that he took over. It wasn't like a Riley Ridley case where he was a 22 and a half year old player and then he finally did something after three years of nothing. It's like he took over the offense from day one and he was always very good and he had a really good rookie year. The drops were concerning, like you said, and 10 touchdowns on 64 tar uh, 64 catches. I don't want to chase that kind of production, but. He did in 13 games last year what he did in 16 games as a rookie, basically, and while eliminating the drops, like you said. So the thing that I'm looking at more specifically is how he seems to get open downfield as good as about anybody. And 1.7 air yards per snap last year was 87th percentile, and that's at a 13.5 yard depth of target where he caught 68 and a half percent of his targets. So 13 and a half, that's far downfield. That's the 77th percentile. Didn't do anything after the catch last year, but he did the year before. So I think you can imagine him um, 6.1 yards after the catch per catch as a rookie, 2.3 yards after the catch per catch last year. It wouldn't be surprising if he splits the difference there, does something like four, four and a half yards after the catch per catch this year, while still maintaining his gains as a downfield separator. Like we knew his route running was really good coming out of Alabama. Right. And you're seeing that carry over in details like that, the air yardage per snap, 
the high catch rate far downfield. That's stuff that you do when you're getting open and guys aren't hitting you when you're making catches and the quarterbacks making these throws, these, you know, maybe like a 15 yard out. That's traditionally risky, but not when you're getting open like Ridley does, not when you lose people as a route runner like he does. So with Austin Hooper leading that offense, I think I've seen a lot of people get wrong or I, I anticipate that they're getting wrong thinking that that's just all going to go to Hayden Hurst. Hayden Hurst could be a good tight end this year. He could he could be a good player in general, but he's not Austin Hooper. He doesn't even loosely resemble him. And Austin Hooper, people still aren't really getting this. He's one of the very best at getting open quickly underneath. He's basically Michael Thomas at tight end. He's truly automatic underneath. He doesn't do anything else, but that one thing defenses just can't stop. Mm-hmm. And Matt Ryan was going to him accordingly. Like it was especially with the offensive line uh, suffering a bit the past couple of years, like Austin Hooper was was somebody that Matt Ryan was dependent on. And even if there was even if Ryan wanted to go to Hooper again the same way, if Hooper had been there this upcoming year, he's not going to be able to use Hurst that way. Like Hurst is just a different kind of tight end. Sure. So there's going to be slack and it's not going to be Russell Gage that picks it up. Julio Jones is already pretty much maxed out or so I think. Maybe, maybe I'm wrong. Maybe maybe really does the exact same thing this year as the last two years and Julio goes for 2,500 yards or something. But those are the only possibilities. And I think Ridley going for 1,300 is a lot more plausible than Julio going for 2,000. It's just – it's such like when you when – you recontextualize it uh to looking at, at the draft capital and the draft board there's just so many good receivers in that area i feel like uh ridley just sort of gets lost in the wash a little bit you know like, like i was saying with with, with smith schuster with thielen with aj brown who like i i would have a hard time uh even though the the offense is worse in, in tennessee for for a receiver i would i would have a really hard time uh, taking or passing on Brown for Ridley, but I mean the the cases that that you've been laying out, in addition to some of the stats I was talking about earlier, it's like, huh? It's like the the kombucha girl, like hmm, maybe not. So um, I don't know. I, I like Ridley a lot. I think that he uh, he doesn't get enough buzz, and it, it'll be interesting to see if uh, you know his hype pick train up, picks think. up, like you like you were saying. I think Julio Ridley this year is almost exactly like Evans Godwin last year and uh, not to say like Ridley will be the slot guy he's he's getting open outside these are high difficulty plays that he's doing very well on so they if they do move him into the slot though oh man he could really go nuts though yeah yeah he would just it would be ridiculous it'd be like a cheat code in the the slot if, if they move him there I like him more than Woods and I I don't know. I, I respect Thielen a lot. I think he's really good. I'm a little worried about the injury and, and, and going over 30. But I think in, in the case of those two, I'm, I'm trying to kind of diversify between them or or maybe I'll let it, uh, you know, break. I, I want to get some Julio and Chris Go- uh, sorry, Calvin Ridley stacks in best ball. It's really hard, though. He's not falling into the fourth round very often that I've seen. And it's it's kind of hard to pull the trigger on Ridley in the third. But it's something worth considering because I do think those two are going to combine for something like 2,700, 2,800 yards this year. Oh, my God. Yeah. So that that would really be almost exactly like uh, Evans and Godwin uh, from a year ago. Uh, before we move on to some of the sleepers and non-sleepers, we got a message from our friends over at Dynasty Owner. The best fantasy football leagues are those where every owner constantly pays attention, responds to trade offers, changes their lineup, and are always looking to improve their team. There is no offseason for these owners. That's who you're challenging yourself against in Dynasty Owner. Other elite fantasy football players who are committed 
to competing. Dynasty Owner is the only fantasy football platform with a patent game using actual NFL salaries and contracts. Combine this with a salary cap, elite trading options, advanced team rosters, and devoted elite owners to compete against, and you're faced with the same decisions NFL owners and general managers must make. If you're ready to take on the best, then don't miss out. Join the waitlist at DynastyOwner.com. That's DynastyOwner.com. All right, so we were talking about uh, Tampa Bay a little bit earlier, and they have a sleeper potentially, um, in floating around in their backfield. So outside outside that passing game, uh, chasing the, the Tampa Bay r- rushing attack in recent years has been uh, a fool's errand, uh, to, to say the least. least. Yeah. Uh, you know, when, when Peyton Barber is a thing, uh, you know that, that there are bigger issues um, at play. Um, so obviously, uh, the Buccaneers address running back a little bit later than I think a lot of people, myself included, were in- expecting um, in the draft. But they went ahead and they got uh, Keyshawn Vaughn out of Vanderbilt, a-, a good player, a player who you know kind of got on my radar when he was at Illinois way back when, and then uh, had a really really strong first season at Vanderbilt in 2018. I was a little bit surprised, especially with the weak uh, 2018 or I'm sorry 2019. Uh, running back class that that Keyshawn Vaughn didn't decide to come out. I really feel like he could have gone a little bit higher if he was out a year ago and he was more explosive in that that particular season. Um, But nonetheless, uh, he is on the Bucs now. He joins a backfield with with Ronald Jones, who has – not really endeared himself to the to the fantasy community uh, all that much and you know understand it's understandable that the people have been burned by him to to kind of be off of him and look for that next guy um, but I think that people are a little bit too quick to write off Jones and I think they're a little bit uh, there's some fuzzy math in the way that they're selling themselves on Keyshawn Vaughn yeah, I'm kind of, I'm kind of, you know, beating the dead horse at this point with my Keyshawn Vaughn opinion, which I, I got loud about it right away during the draft because it was, I want to say pretty much, I don't know if it was fair to say the the industry consensus, but at least among the loudest in the industry, it was the consensus that Keyshawn Vaughn was just going to take over this backfield that Ronald Jones is an afterthought. And not only that Keyshawn Vaughn was going to take over the backfield, but he was going to be good, man. He's going to be so good. And it's, it's one of those things for me where I don't want to, I don't want my tone to come off. Like I'm saying Keyshawn Vaughn can't play in the NFL because I definitely think he can. And we've seen so many running backs over the years who, if they just get on the field and just get the touches, they're good in fantasy. Even if we don't really respect them as, as, you know, standout real life NFL players and talking about fantasy football, we don't really care about the second part. We just, we just want to know if the numbers are going to be there. And if, if the snaps and if the touches are there, they should be there for him. But you have to first explain how any of that is going to happen. And if you just pretend that Ronald Jones is some pushover or that he, you know, doesn't exist, the thinking is at the outset wrong. And maybe you could be right, but it wouldn't be for reasons that you anticipated. It would just be kind of like a dumb chance, dumb luck kind of thing where, where it, it turns out in your favor, even though you didn't grasp what the actual details were before they played out. And I think people have had enough time since the draft to sober up a little bit, look at Keyshawn Vaughn's profile and look at other players over the years. And, and they've kind of remembered like, oh, yeah, this is this guy's just kind of your average round three, round four kind of running back prospect. It wasn't like he slipped as far as he did. No one was really no one was like, oh, my God, why hasn't Keyshawn Vaughn come off the board yet? It was 
around that range at the earliest that anyone was expecting him to go. And there's reasons for that. It's like he's he's just very average looking. He's got, to be fair, a little bit more speed than average, and and that's that's helpful. That's that's good for his chances in the NFL. And it's also good for his chances in the NFL that he got on the field right away at Illinois, where a you know, true freshman year, he was he was splitting carries with Josh Ferguson, who was a senior at the time. And, you know, he, he wasn't great or anything, but if, if you're an 18-year-old player and you get on the field right away at a, at a you know, Big Ten school, th- that's a good start. And he, he did that much at least. But this, that year he wasn't that standout. It, it, it's, it's one of those things he might not have been much different as a senior than he was as a freshman when he ran for 723 yards and six touchdowns in 11 games. Uh, a couple things, though, it's like that year, most of his production was against bad defenses. He basically had two or three good games. He had like 180 yards on 12 carries or something against Purdue. And outside of that game, he might have been around four yards a carry, something like that. And then in his second year at Illinois, he split carries with these guys that no one cares about anymore. And he wasn't even as good as them. It was uh, correct me if I'm wrong. Maybe maybe Keyshawn Vaughn was hurt that year. Uh, you you might remember better than me. It would have been 2016. Mm-hmm. But Kendrick Foster and Reggie Corbin led that backfield. Keyshawn Vaughn was third on the team in rushing yards that year. So I don't know. It's good that he got on the, the field as a freshman. It's really bad that he got off the field because of guys like Kendrick Foster and Reggie Corbin, who, again, no one cares about them. It, it would have been yeah, one Corbin thing. Corbin was, was a freshman that year, and, and he outproduced uh, Vaughn by or 20, more than 26 carries and was going over a yard more per carry than, than him. Yeah, this is far from Carnell Williams, Ronnie Brown, Brandon Jacobs. This is Kendrick Foster, Reggie Corbin. And maybe, I'm assuming he got nicked up or something, but still, it's not good that you fall behind those guys on the depth chart and then transfer to Vanderbilt. Uh, it's good that you ran, that you averaged whatever it was, seven yards a carry as a junior at Vanderbilt, but then he fell back down to earth in 2019. And if you look at those 2018 numbers of his, it was again kind of a thing where it was propelled by a few big games. And to me, Keyshawn Vaughn is, in any case, in that Jamal Williams, Wayne Gallman kind of genre of running back. Uh, I, I, I got to go. admit, I got to admit, he's he's better than those two. It's just that's the genre for me, and but by that genre, I just mean a guy who can probably play 30, 40 snaps a game, and no one's going to really complain about him too much. But just as easily, or just as much the case that not many people are going to really notice him or, or especially care that much about him, and. You get, people got to keep in mind, Keyshawn Vaughn is actually three months older or about three months older than Ronald Jones. Ronald Jones was younger when he was playing with these big workloads at USC and he was just torching there. Like he was annihilating everybody. And I don't know. It's like, I think you have to convince yourself that Keyshawn Vaughn could have done those same things at the same age as Ronald Jones did at USC before you can truly convince yourself that he can take anything away now. Like if he, if he couldn't do it then, why would he do it now in Tampa Bay? And the other thing is you can't assume Ronald Jones will be the same player he was the last two years this year when he's just turning 23 in uh, – I want to say like August 7th or something like that. And that's – when you when you're going into your third year at that age, people oh, August have to – August 3rd, same birthday as me. No big deal. Oh, uh, happy birthday, Ronald Jones and John McKechnie. And Tom uh, Brady actually. And the best of all, Tom Brady. Um, yeah, so it's it's one thing to, to note that Ronald Jones was whatever he was his first two years. And it's it's one thing to note that it was or wasn't 
above average or something. But to look at what Keyshawn Vaughn did as a senior at Vanderbilt and compare it to what Ronald Jones did as a younger player in the NFC South is kind of just one of those things where you're showing you can't grasp how football works. And a lot of people just ran away with this like, oh, Keyshawn Vaughn, uh, he he got a higher PFF blocking grade playing against <laughs> Missouri than Ronald Jones did against Cameron Jordan. It's like, shut up. Like this doesn't this doesn't have any these are not comparable situations. And if if you if you want to argue that they're they're meaningful relative to each other, I'm just not going to take you seriously. So that was a lot of the kind of logic that was propelling the Keyshawn Vaughn hype and still does to this day. But I, I do think um, – not that I've done many drafts lately. I've been really busy with moving and stuff. Um, but I think I've seen Keyshawn Vaughn hype settle a little bit. Like he was – I thought I saw him going like the fifth round or something like that kind of coming out of the draft. I feel like it's safe to say he's going more like in the sixth round. Let me, let me just pull up the yeah, – Yeah, uh, going around uh, 70, pick 73. Who's 77? Okay. Yeah, he's going in the, in the past seven days anyway. He's down to 77. So, yeah, maybe he is sliding a little bit. Maybe, maybe people uh, – if only because maybe some people got so many shares right out of the draft that they're just like holding off on getting more shares again as they diversify a bit. But it never made any sense that Keyshawn Vaughn was going ahead of Ronald Jones in my opinion. And um, he still is going ahead of Ronald Jones. So I still have no interest at all in buying Keyshawn Vaughn. I haven't gotten much of Ronald Jones either. I should mention, and it's again, it's just because of one of those things. They tend to have both. Both of them tend to have their own truthers. And if you have one of each in your draft, you won't get a chance to get them at a point that you find a, a good deal because there will always be that other guy who who's ready to make that purchase much higher than you. Yeah, definitely. And uh, I certainly was in, in that camp as for Jones as a rookie. I thought that he would immediately uh, displace uh, Peyton Barber. That didn't quite happen great, but again, like, I you're, like you're saying. I thought he would. I mean, it's, it's, it's true that Ronald Jones did not pass block well enough for Bruce Arians's uh, for, for Bruce Arians' taste last year. But the other thing people got to notice is Peyton Barber still didn't play a whole lot, did he? And it's because your ability to produce from scrimmage still matters too. It's not like running backs just pass block or just run the ball or just catch the ball. Or if they do, they're called specialists and they don't play enough for us to care in fantasy football. There you go. But uh, Keyshawn Vaughn is at risk of that same from scrimmage limitation as Peyton Barber, even though he's definitely better than him. Okay, there there we have it. So the, the Tampa Bay Buccaneers backfield solved. Um, let's get on to another guy uh, going in the similar range, different position uh, than Vaughn. And someone that we've talked about uh, previously, but it, I mean, he's he, I think, is going to be a, a storyline throughout all of fantasy draft season. That's Deontay Johnson. People still trying to make sense and conflate or uh, just look at his rookie year versus his profile and then look at at the team context now where you have you know presumably a healthy Ben Roethlisberger back there I mean that's such a huge improvement um, over the you know yeah. the Mason Rudolph Duck Hodges thing so uh, you have that to account for you have you know a a bad year from Juju Smith-Schuster last year I think one that I don't really think will ever happen again he'll never like reach the, those depths uh, that he did a year ago but um, either way you slice it. I mean, the, there has to be more than one target in Pittsburgh and, uh, you know, outside of Juju, um, it, it does seem to be Deontay Johnson is the prevailing, uh, guy that, that people are in on and, and his draft position continues to climb. Yeah. There's still some drafts where he falls into probably 
the, the earlier range of this offseason, which is to say eighth, maybe ninth round. But he's not going to fall further than that anymore, even even occasionally. That 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 he probably used to fall into the tenth and eleventh every you know one out of ten drafts or something like that. Those days are gone. And in a lot of the drafts now, you're not even going to be able to get him at that kind of median price because there are more truthers now. And um, this is this is not to uh, criticize the, the research that Matt Harmon has done because he does really good research. It's just what it's just a fact. He's an influential person in the industry. And when he hypes a player, people start chasing that player. And Deontay Johnson is one of those guys who he who Matt Harmon graded really high off of his rookie year. And you're you're starting to see the narratives gain more traction. And it's it's showing up in the ADP, too, where. In the, in the past seven days, it looks like on the best ball tens, the highest pick for Deontay Johnson was actually, uh, let's see, the sixth pick in the fifth round. And in NFFC, he's it's 69th overall. So uh, what is that? That's uh, the ninth pick in the fifth round. So sometimes Deontay Johnson now is going in the fifth round. And to be fair, some of those might have been picks that the guy that the person taking them might have known was a reach and maybe they were making that reach to make a Pittsburgh receiver stack because sometimes you just have to reach for players to get the stack because you know it's it the the, the rankings and in the, the drafts the snake draft order don't line up in some cases and, and you know crossing your fingers hoping that you get a, a steal isn't as realistic as just reaching around earlier so maybe that's what some of those picks are but if, if people are taking him in the fifth round just because they like him that much I would really I would really caution them to maybe reconsider that because it's it's one of those things where it doesn't even really matter how good you think he is or how good he actually is there's only so much that can go around in that offense and I don't know if it's that people are are thinking well, Roethlisberger's back, and the last time he played, Antonio Brown had like 1,800 yards, and Juju Smith-Schuster had like 1,500 yards. So even if Juju Smith-Schuster is really good this year, Deontay Johnson's going to play that you know that second receiver who gets like 1,400 yards. And then and Johnson I, has like creepily similar athleticism to Brown, at least in the combine measurables. So like it, it's it, right. it's weird how much it like it, it parallels. But go on. Yeah, and I didn't I didn't put that together until um, like Chris. I was, I was talking to Chris and Jeff yesterday, and Chris was like, "I think some of the reason of this hype is because people just think he is per se the next Antonio Brown." Which I kind of get it. I mean, it's it's a they have the same frame, like 5'10", 180 something. But I think that uh, for what it's worth, Antonio Brown tested a little tiny bit better. Like his jumps were so bad, so stupid bad that they're like something just kind of was wrong. Like Antonio Brown actually, I think, has the record for the lowest, uh, the the shortest broad jump for a receiver oh, at 105 awesome. inches. Uh, but he, he at least kind of was quick, uh, whereas Deontay Johnson just had bad numbers and then the four five three. So I don't know. It's it's. It's interesting, I guess, but the other thing to keep in mind is that Antonio Brown was insanely productive at Central Michigan. Like he was I don't even know what the comparison would be, but he he was he was like rushing for I want to say like 300 yards a year and then putting up just like 100 yards a game every single game. He was a monster at Central Michigan whereas Deontay Johnson was only quite good at Toledo. Like the only year he went over 1000 yards or, or the only the one big year that Deontay Johnson had and he was he was over 21 at least at the time by the way. Uh, was when Cody Thompson got hurt. And then when Cody Thompson came back the next year, Deontay and John Vea Johnson basically split evenly with Cody Thompson. So it's it's one of those things for me where... Oh, so this I'm Cody not... Thompson guy must be pretty good in the NFL then, right? 
Yeah, and John Vea Johnson. Everybody, we can't stop talking about these other Toledo receivers. Uh, you know, it's it, it's it's a uh, embarrassment of Richards. If, if Deontay like Johnson was so much better than them, then why didn't Toledo think so? And if you look at Antonio Brown at Central Michigan, there's no comp, there's no comparable detail there. It's not like, oh, uh, I don't even know who it was. It was like, t- what was it? What was that one? Titus Davis, Corey Davis's brother. Oh shoot! So that, yeah, it was. It was like somebody like that was the next good Central Michigan receiver after Antonio Brown. There wasn't the Cody Thompson, the John Vea Johnson for for Antonio Brown. Who there there was no one debating who the best Central Michigan was receiver was when Antonio Brown was there. So I, I get why people would be inclined to make that kind of comparison or, or look for that that similarity. I just don't see it myself. But again, I, I or to be fair, I was too low on De- uh, Deontay Johnson coming out of Toledo. I thought he was like a round five kind of guy, and he's better than that. I still think people are, are overrating him, though. And I think even if you think he's very good, the problem has to do with the structure of the offense, if nothing else, because he's not going to, or at least I don't think we have much reason to believe that he's going to displace Juju Smith-Schuster from the slot, because. Deontay Johnson mostly played outside last year, even after even when Juju Smith-Schuster was on the shelf, it was James Washington who would play in the slot and he would just run really far downfield from the slot, which is kind of a weird thing to do. But they didn't play Deontay Johnson in the slot, even when Juju Smith-Schuster was off the field. So I don't see why that would change this year. And if it doesn't change this year, then Juju is playing the role of the slot receiver where he a is just uniquely good and better than Deontay Johnson and B it's the easiest target to hit out of, out of the options in the Pittsburgh offense. He's, he's closer laterally to the quarterback and he's closer vertically to the quarterback. And that could really matter this year with Ben Roethlisberger trying to come back from that elbow injury at age 38. And it's, um, I was asking Jeff Stotts about it and he said, it's not a Tom, or at least it doesn't sound like it's a Tommy John thing. So it's not quite, uh, that level of, of concern, but you had a season ending elbow injury with an old quarterback who was never known for working out very much. That's the kind of thing like it might limit him physically. Like he might come back and just kind of realize like, Oh man, I don't have much zip anymore. And if he doesn't have much zip, he's not throwing those 10 yard outs. He's not throwing these, these things to the outside where Deontay Johnson's running his routes. He, he's going to still throw to Deontay Johnson plenty because Deontay Johnson is going to play a lot and he's, he's going to play well. But this idea that Ben Roethlisberger is going to lead the league in passing yardage like he did two years ago, I, I think people need to let that go. And yep. you can still think he's a good bargain going in like whatever it is, the 12th or the 13th round, because in that range he only needs to get you to like whatever, 4,200, 4,300 to be useful but you got to let go of that 5,000 yards idea. It's it's not going to be comparable to Antonio Brown, Juju Smith-Schuster two years ago. And for Deontay Johnson in that case to go in the fifth round and meet value, I think if you, if you project less than something like 4,800 passing yards for Roethlisberger, then you need Deontay Johnson to match Juju Smith-Schuster's production, which is to say for Deontay Johnson in the fifth round to be the correct pick, Juju Smith-Schuster in the third or the fourth needs to be a – incorrect pick and I don't think it is like I made my own projections for the Steelers offense and I'm going with something like about 750 to 800 snaps for both Deontay Johnson and James Washington more like 950 to a thousand snaps for Juju I'm giving Juju 100 catches 105 catches something like that for 1200 to 1300 yards five six seven touchdowns something like that 
which would be a totally good return in the third round in PPR scoring. I basically have Juju and Allen Robinson for projected for similar numbers. And then Deontay Johnson, I have at again, about 750, 800 snaps getting a hundred targets for about 70 catches, 750, 800 yards, four or five touchdowns, something like that. And the idea that's the other thing is James Washington isn't just going to disappear. And we know that because he does different things than both Juju and Deontay Johnson do. He runs further downfield. So, Unless we think Deontay Johnson is going to start running downfield in order to to thus displace James Washington in his production from last year, or unless we think that Deontay Johnson is going to displace Juju Smith-Schuster as the lead underneath producer, then there's these categorical obstacles that just – these definitions can't mix together. They, they're not consistent with each other. So I, I think people are just getting a little bit out of hand with their enthusiasm for Deontay Johnson, and I think if they tried to run the actual numbers themselves, they would see that. Okay, and then also I'm looking at uh, drafts on the NFFC dating back to Monday. Uh, he's going, you know, around the 72nd uh, or 72nd highest ADP. Uh, two picks behind him is, is Marquise Brown. And for me, like a coin flip between the two of them, like I'm just taking Marquise Brown every time. So, like, yeah, uh, you know, it's different if Brown is off the board there and I'm picking between like Deontay Johnson and Jarvis Landry, Michael Gallup, Tyler Boyd, uh, that kind of thing. But um, if, if, Marquise Brown is still there. Uh, I'm probably rolling with him ten times out of ten, and that like the the question is answered just for that. Yeah. So I'm looking at the best ball tens for the past week. 83rd is where Deontay Johnson is, which I, I don't have like a much of a problem with that. Yeah, I, that's I reasonable. That's, it's like fine. I'm not going to make the pick, but I'm not really going to criticize anyone who does. I will criticize picking him in the 50s or the 60s. But as far as that 83rd and later goes. I would rather have Marvin Jones, Christian Kirk, Brandon Cooks, Jameson Crowder, Darius Slayton. If I'd probably rather have Meikle too, just because I'm probably not picking him as like my wide receiver two or anything like that. And I know there's a wide range of outcomes there. But if Tyreek Hill gets hurt or if Sammy Watkins gets hurt, Meikle goes from like wide receiver whatever 48 to wide receiver 20 in a hurry. Whereas I, I don't really see Deontay Johnson going much higher than that, even if Juju was out. And um, so. Th- I, I just think that you're 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 not getting nearly enough upside with a player like Johnson for for the for the price tag that it takes to get there. And even if he's good, I'm sorry, he is not as good as some of these other guys like Kirk and Jones and Cooks and and Crowder, in my opinion. And um, any anything that evaluates him higher than that, I'm I'm just very skeptical of. Yeah, I think I think you have that uh, pretty much nailed. Uh, let's move on to uh, the next point of order. Um, how how are we feeling about the Green Bay tight end situation? Because it feels like Jay Sternberger, and obviously they they, um, they drafted Josiah Deguara, but he's more of like an H back type of guy. Yeah. Um, but still, uh, the fact remains Jimmy Graham is gone, so targets uh, presumably are, are going to come available to to the tight end, and obviously uh, Green Bay's receivers outside of uh, Devontae Adams not particularly um, impressive. So it would stand to reason, even with as an invisible of a rookie year as Jay Sternberger had, that you know at least the the Packers need to make sense of their third round selection of him from from just two years ago and, and try to give him an opportunity. So where are you uh, with him? Well, I'm kind of low on, on the tight end position for Green Bay generally. And that DeGuara pick kind of creeps me out a bit because it, the, the DeGuara pick and the A.J. Dillon pick kind of creep me out a little bit as, as far as Green Bay's passing production goes because that's starting to look a lot like the Tennessee offense, the, the Derrick Henry 
with, uh, you know, Johnny Smith and Anthony Ferkser and uh, I guess Michael Pruitt would probably be the analog in that case for Josiah DeGuara. But Sternberger last year and, – and, oh, man, you, you know what? You, they were already kind of trying to do some Tennessee stuff because these tight ends were not running many routes last year. And the thing that I hate the most about the Tennessee offense isn't even how much they run it. It's it's how they make Jonu Smith block so much when he would be an awesome receiver if they would just throw it to him and, and let him run routes. But yeah, Jay Sternberg was 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 blocking quite a bit last year, so that this is a that's part of the reason for this. But he only had one regular season target on 64 snaps, which isn't so great. And it's not like the guy was a seventh rounder who had a who had to really scrap his way to the field. It's like Jimmy Graham was terrible. Mercedes Lewis was a good blocker, um, but you know he's he's like 34, never was a, a pass catching threat, even at his best. And Sternberger still couldn't really get on the field and then couldn't get targets when he did get on the field, even as a third round pick. And I don't want to say that you should never pick Sternberger because if it's the last round or something and if if you're desperate for a tight end and your only other choice is just some total joke of an option, um, then, yeah, I guess – a guy who has at least a chance to start is is a starting point that you don't often find in the last round. And if you can't, if you don't have a better option, then what's the difference anyway? But I would not go, I would not go making my draft plans to, to involve Sternberger at all. Like if I'm ending up with Sternberger, maybe it's the best pick I could make in the situation. But I'm kind of uh, disappointed that it ended up that way, okay. and I'm I'm not targeting him ever because. He could be okay. He had a productive year, his his final year in college after transfer. He was transferred from Kansas, right? Yeah. And he went to Texas A&M. Yes. Had 832 yards, 10 touchdowns, and 83 targets. So that's good. And the thing is, it was his senior year. So it's it was one of those put up or shut up kind of points in his career. And then the athletic testing wasn't so great. And when I, I just think of a guy like Max Williams in the NFL – who is, I think, a better college tight end, and he, he was also that sort of 6'4", 250, didn't have standout athleticism to offset what is actually a below-average frame in the NFL. Like 6'4", 250, that's, that's the kind of size at tight end where you need to be pushing for that 4'6 range in the 40, and you ideally are pretty quick. You ideally can leap a little bit. And Sternberg ran a 4'75", which is almost precisely average, even though he, his weight is and his height is below average. So he's got something to work with and it's it's not like he's going to be a free agent or anything like that, but I don't think he profiles as a typical starter. And I think we already had reason to believe that, that, that uh, Matt LaFleur did not really intend to get his, his tight ends involved anyway. And that, that's kind of weird because they were linked to Austin Hooper before free agency. Um, I just don't think that even if they did envision a way to use Hooper, that Sternberger could do any of that. I guess DeGuaro would be closer, but even he, he's like Michael Pruitt, Kyle Juice uh, check kind of player. So I don't really see it. And the other thing people got to remember, even though he's, he's primarily played outside receiver in the NFL, Devin Funches was initially a tight end at Michigan. And I wouldn't be surprised at all if, if Green Bay used him and he, he's like six four, two thirty five. 235. He, he's almost as big as Sternberger and he's quite a bit more athletic. So I wouldn't be surprised if Funches got some of those reps that a, a lot of people are presuming will go to Sternberger. Of course, I could be wrong. I just um, I'm trying to solve my tight end questions well before Sternberger goes off the board. Gotcha. Yeah, he's going around 
tight end 24 it looks like right now in an nffc draft so uh right in the same range as irv smith uh oj oh Howard. check this out mm-hmm. he's going higher than dawson knox who i don't even think is good but dawson knox can at least run That's and he, he was getting he was getting targeted quite a bit last year by josh allen and um the bills offense it won't exactly be it won't be like a smooth offense ever with Josh Allen, but they can move the ball a few ways. And, and that's something that combined with Knox's athleticism and the fact that he was getting targets as a rookie, even though he dropped a million passes, getting, getting the target presented in the first place is, is kind of the first part of the puzzle. And he was doing that Sternberger wasn't. Okay. Um, all right. So let's move on over what uh, a running back situation here uh, for the Chargers. Let's try to figure out um, who the uh, Eckler backup uh, that DuJour um, is. Is it uh, Justin Jackson for you or is it Joshua Kelly? So this is kind of interesting. I, I know I named it Justin Jackson for this um, for this kind of like skeptical sleeper. Uh, segment, but I'm actually rethinking a little bit that not much, and, and certainly not at all relative to Eckler. Like I am an Eckler truther. I think he's clearly the guy there. I think he's one of the most dangerous offensive players in the NFL, and I don't think anybody in particular can compete with him, let alone Justin Jackson or Joshua Kelly. But um, Justin Jackson, <laughs> this this is a this is something that a lot of people might not really know what I'm talking about because uh, they're not on Twitter. And if they are on Twitter they and they saw Justin Jackson's tweets, they still might not understand what he's saying. But he's he's got the Colin Kaepernick problem, basically. And honestly, his his views, which are good in my opinion, I, I, I actually agree with Justin Jackson about almost every single thing in the world. But his views are way more alienating to the average uh, NFL coach, NFL GM owner whatever it is than even Colin Kaepernick like if people think Colin Kaepernick's some extremist Fidel Castro type then they really won't like what Justin Jackson has to say yeah so I'm concerned that he's going to get kind of like blacklisted from the NFL however uh and I'm not bringing this up as in like to make light of or trivialize anything that's happening right now but if he were to get cut for his beliefs at this particular time the backlash would be a lot different. The the PR backlash for the charges would be a lot different than it would have been a year ago. So I'm kind of, I'm thinking actually he he will stick with the team, but I know people have been thinking like he might just like overtake Austin Eckler or something Mm -hmm. like that. And it's not going to happen. I like Justin Jackson. He's interesting, but he's, he's not, he's not done anything convincing in the NFL. We know he's a, he's a quick guy. He's, he's, he's got decent speed, but he doesn't have decent speed for his weight, and he especially doesn't have decent speed for how how uh, I don't even know what the term is. He, he's not dense. He's like six foot, barely two hundred pounds. He, he's skinny for a running back. Austin Eckler's faster at five nine and the same weight that Jackson is at, at two or three inches taller. Stuff like that matters. Josh Kelly is actually a little bit faster than Justin Jackson at a heavier weight by about excuse me, 10 pounds at, at an inch shorter. So these things matter. And I know, I know Jackson ha- made a few exciting plays, but he also hasn't done a whole, he hasn't gotten the ball much in the NFL. He's gotten 79 carries and there are four 20 yard carries on them, one 40 yard carry, but that's just 406 yards on 79 carries, which it's, it's interesting, but it's very inconclusive. Austin Eckler is conclusively one of the best running backs in the league. I, I wrote something on the site about it, and it's it's no paywall. So if you want to go look, if anyone wants to go look at it, 
they don't need to register or sign up for a free trial. Even you can just go look at it. And um, I think that I think I make the case there that Eckler is, you know, he, he will he will not be bothered by these guys like he, he might have uh, certain roles that don't pertain to what Kelly and Jackson do. But he will be the main guy. The other two will fight for what's left. And for Jackson, even if even if his standing with the team in the NFL is OK, I think you have reason to believe that Josh Kelly is the better prospect because running that four, four, eight, four, four, nine, whatever he did at 211 pounds, that's kind of the sort of speed weight adjustment that you're talking about with a guy like Miles Sanders, even which Kelly was not nearly as quick or uh, springy as Miles Sanders was, but that speed on that frame is just something more than what Jackson has. So I tend to see it as rather than this running back one upside rather than this guy who could threaten Eckler and, and outplay Kelly, I see Jackson as a guy who is clearly fixed into a something like a 20 snap a game kind of role at most. And I'm not really even getting my hopes up for that much because uh, Kelly's a totally decent prospect. Like he's, he's, he's in that same genre as Keyshawn Vaughn actually. And in the, in the fourth round, that's a lot easier for me to, to, to buy as, as a, as a draft pick uh, than, than Vaughn in the third, but, there's they're similar guys and, and guys like that can earn snaps. So if I don't think Jackson can earn snaps at Eckler's expense and if I'm worried about him losing the remaining scraps to a guy like Kelly, then I, you know, I'm not going to get any Justin Jackson shares this year. I hope he does well. I would love to see that guy do great. I, I just I just think there's a lot of things working against him even before the politics of it all get involved. And I would definitely take Josh Kelly over him in a draft. I, I actually plan to target Kelly a little bit depending on. Um, it, it's one of those things like I might not get many shares because I might not, uh, I might have some other guy that I pick earlier for my running back five, my running back six, whatever it is. But if I end up with Kelly in either of those roles, I'll be totally okay with it because I think if Eckler gets hurt, then Kelly will be the lead guy. And it wouldn't be that shocking if Kelly's something like, um, you know, th- the backup who plays, I don't know, 300 snaps. Maybe he pushes for something like 100 plus carries. I don't know. He was a good player in college, and we know he's no worse than an average athlete. It's he's the exact same kind of prospect as Keyshawn Vaughn is. Okay, yeah. So, um, so with all of that in mind, that um, they they go about five picks apart at least uh, this week in the NFFC. So it, it, it they've kind of been boiled down to a coin flip between the two of them for drafters and then one other round almost or sorry 13th round that's that's really early for jackson in my opinion i i wouldn't take him any earlier than like the 17th and even then i'm still i probably prefer somebody like damian harris or something like that there we go yes we do love damian harris um one other running back who goes in that range that i wanted to touch on but uh before uh we head out and that that ties back into pittsburgh a little bit uh ties back in with with some news that that came out uh recently uh, regarding Jalen Samuels maybe not having a guaranteed roster spot obviously Anthony McFarland a new uh, rookie uh, for the Steelers he's going a little bit ahead of those Chargers guys that we were just talking about Um, if that ends up being the case what are your thoughts on McFarland I'm pretty low on him this year I think he's a good player but I don't think he's a better prospect than someone like Daryl Henderson or something like that and we saw Henderson kind of needed a red shirt year and the the main problem for McFarland, I think, is that he's not t- he's not proven as a pass catcher. So 
he has the tools to theoretically be good at that. And, and there are cases, there's tons of cases, actually. James Conner is one such case yep. of, of a player who didn't catch many passes in college. And then it turned out it was just kind of college didn't really use him the right way to do that. And that may well be the case with McFarland. And I think as a runner, he's definitely good. I have no doubts about that at all, actually. But I think he won't be able to compete with Connor or Samuels for pass catching purposes. And as a pure runner, he might have a hard time just just by being a rookie, just by being a junior entrant rookie. He might have trouble outplaying someone like Benny Snell, who's got the advantage of being a second year player and was also a fourth round pick and, and got quite a few reps last year later in the year. So I just think that Snell and McFarland are fighting over what is definitionally like a small share of the offense and especially if it's if it's like short yardage situation i think they'll go to snell over mcfarland so he's the kind of guy i think of him more like of a justice hill kind of category i guess and it i expect him to disappoint a lot of people this year i expect him to get a lot of hype in the preseason because he's going to look fast and quick because he is fast and quick and people are going to kind of do what they did with justice hill last year and be like oh my god a preseason spin move um, yeah, people were doing that with Darwin Thompson, even. So I fully oh, expect man. them to the do Darwin that with Thompson. him. Like I, I think, dude, I got so much abuse for saying he wasn't good last year. <laughs> Unbelievable. Um, but McFarland actually is good. It's just it 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 might be unfair to expect him to be better right away than guys like Snell, who they have you know they've they've got a head start on him. In the quick Darwin Thompson like draft craze um anecdote during the uh the pentathlon uh Derek Van Riper um league he puts together um during the uh Superflex auction last year I threw out uh Darwin Thompson for like seven bucks and it totally froze the room and like people were like oh is that like the the like the dart of the of the draft or whatever so I ended up with Darwin Thompson and I I felt so good (laughs) about myself for seven dollars and this was you know like late August, early September, something like that, like right before the season started. Uh, I don't think he cracked my lineup even once. No, man, there's – do you remember that one Rams running back I want to say it was? I can't even remember his name. It was some fast running back, like a Daryl something, like five, six years ago. Um, There was a preseason where everybody just got so hyped on him. He started going in like the sixth or seventh round. And, yeah, Darwin Thompson was totally that thing last year. Sorry, to to zoom back out a bit, I I don't worry about McFarland having that kind of – like I worry about him having just as unproductive of a rookie year, but I don't think it'll be like it was with Thompson. Yeah, it won't completely torch teams for that. Right, and it won't. It also won't be a thing like Thompson didn't get on the field because he just wasn't that good, and McFarland won't get on the if he doesn't get on the field, it will because it'll be because it's or sorry, it won't be because he wasn't good enough. It'll just be because there were other qualified candidates who had experience advantages over him who were already there. Right, exactly. Yeah, so th- there's a lot of roadblocks for for McFarland. So as much as I like the player, yeah, I have a hard time seeing it, at least for for this By upcoming him- season. Buy him in Dynasty after this year when the people who got way too high on him right now are, are you know, hung over from the disappointment of it and uh, try, trying to get rid of him for, for scraps because that when he gets to the buy low point, that's when you want to pick him up. Okay, I see exactly uh, what you're saying there. So, yeah, that's a, that's a good roadmap uh, for handling him uh, in the future. Uh, but that's going to wrap things up. Uh, for today's show, uh, from Mario Puig, I'm John McKechnie. Thanks for listening to the Rotowire NFL podcast brought to you by Dynasty Owner. We'll be back next week.
Everyone is talking about magnesium. It's all you hear about. But why? What do we know about magnesium? Well, magnesium is the number one mineral that 75% of Americans are deficient in. If you are a woman over 35, magnesium will help you rediscover balance, energy, and vitality. Magnesium supports more than 300 enzymatic reactions in your body, including those involved in hormonal balance. From functional medicine doctors to mental well-being and female hormone experts, we all know that magnesium is the one mineral to improve all aspects of well-being and health. But which one? Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers. The trusted choice recommended by leading experts with seven best-absorbed forms of magnesium to ensure your body receives the support it needs for overall well-being. Go to bioptimizers.com slash balance today and use code BALANCE10 for 10% off. Support your journey to wellness at B-I-O-P-T-I-M-I-Z-E-R-S dot com forward slash balance. Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers, your foundation to optimal health and vitality.